Welcome to Her American Story, a podcast where first and second generation American women share their stories about growing up in the United States. I'm your host, Jazz Bean. To learn more about my guests, visit HerAmericanStory.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at HerAMStory. Feedback, would you like to be on the show? Send me an email, HerAmericanStory at gmail.com. I've got another great story for you today, so let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Her American Story. Today, I have Dr. Mimi Zeman joining us. We're going to start off by having her tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, Jasmine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm used to giving medical talks. Thank you so much for being with me today, and I'm so excited to hear your story. (laughs) Yeah, I'm less so used to talking about myself, but I love the idea (laughs) behind your podcast and talking about immigrant stories, so thank you. There's just so many interesting stories out there. And like you said, we don't usually get to talk about them. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping as a platform for folks to share their stories. (laughs) Thank you. It is. It's important. I grew up in New York City. My parents were both immigrants. And that's a lot of my story. My dad was born in Latvia. And he was the only survivor from his family after the Holocaust. His parents and siblings were all killed in Latvia. And my mother was originally from Israel. Her mother had fled Germany in 1933. And the two of them met in Germany after the war, interestingly, and came to New York in the late 50s. So that kind of history sort of has a big influence on you as a child. New York at the time was a different city as well. New York of the 60s and 70s was full of immigrants. So that part was really interesting. I have a lot of interesting influences from then. But it was also sort of a dangerous place out there on the streets. And contrary to today, parents let all the kids roam around on their own. So there was a lot of freedom, but a lot of risk in being outside. And I think that influenced me as well. I can imagine just kind of growing up with that background, there's just so much to unpack, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you think that that impacted, you know, your upcoming and your childhood? Well, I've been thinking about it a lot recently because I've been writing a memoir about how I got from that background to becoming a doctor on an Everest expedition when I was 25. So I had wanted to write my Everest story when I first came back and I was starting my fourth year of medical school, I had a lot of loans to repay, and I just couldn't seem to do the two things together. I had thought about taking some time off, and I decided to plow ahead. But 31 years later, I sat down to write it, and I realized it was more about this sort of immigrant journey than the actual expedition story. Yeah, I I can imagine the entire story is probably very interesting <laughs> as far as, you know, your the combination of your immigrant story and going to Everest and becoming a doctor. Yeah. So, you know, I realized that part of the immigrant story that influenced me was, you know, what we do to find our own way as children of immigrants or what we do to write our own story. And that's what I was doing as I kind of searched out in the mountains and eventually ended up on Everest. Now, tell me more about that. So I guess let's go back a little bit. So you grew up in New York. What made you decide to pursue that Everest? Like, how did you get to that point? Yeah, so it was a series of opportunities I kind of listened to. I think 
you know, the other part of it was just trying to, in the search to kind of try to find my own path, it was trying to be true to myself. Anyway, during college, I ended up in the Rocky Mountains doing high altitude field biology research. I thought I'd be like Jane Goodall. <laughs> and I was kind of following in that track. I spent two summers there and I just found that I absolutely loved the mountains. But I also found that I wasn't Jane Goodall and it wasn't gonna be the right career for me. And I had been um, pursuing science and had an interest in medicine and healing. I even had an, a situation in the mountains where I, I had to save someone <laughs> and I decided to go to medical school. But before I went, I had this just kind of pull and drive to go to the Himalayas. So I put on a backpack and went to trek on my own and I was 22 and had a lot of interesting experiences there, including meeting some people who had just come off an Everest expedition. I was about to start medical school. So I said, oh, if you need a doctor next time, call me. And the, the call came much sooner than I expected. And I wasn't a real doctor yet, but with a lot of planning, I took that big risk and I went to be the doctor on the expedition after my third year of med school, sort of during my third year. And the expedition itself was really interesting because it was before Everest became what it is now, where amateurs go. This was in 1988 and we were on a Tibetan side of the mountain that was very remote and had only been climbed once before. And we were a very small team, just four climbers, a photographer, me as the doctor, and a Nepalese cook. It's called alpine style climbing. They didn't want to use oxygen or high altitude porters. And we ended up being on our own out there for several months, not seeing any other outside people. <laughs> it's before cell phones or satellite radio. And we had it kind of all figured out on our own. You know, that kind of experience changes you. I wanted to write about it then, and now so many years later, I finally have the time and commitment to do that. But I wanted to honor my parents and my upbringing in that. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to talk about that because I think immigrant parents can all be very different. In my situation, they were the opposite of hands-on. Uh, so, you know, we were sort of left to fend for ourselves. I think that's what led me in all these different directions. I just had to kind of figure it out for myself. That's also an influence. Definitely. Now, how did they feel about you doing this Everest expedition, your parents and your family? They thought I was nuts. <laughs> they didn't understand it. They were scared for me. You know, there was risk involved. Now that I think about it more and I'm writing my book, it's interesting because their lives were so full of risk but it was risks that were forced on them. And, you know, mine was one that I chose. I would imagine that's why they kind of maybe had a hard time with it because they were like, we had to have this risk. You don't have to have risk and you're pursuing a risk. Um, exactly. And I can see, you know, especially from that immigrant parent standpoint, they had to go through so many hurdles probably. So I know in my own experience, my parents think it's kind of funny when I'm looking for risk or, you know, in my youth when I was trying to find things that were difficult because they were like, why would you want to make life more difficult? It's exactly. already hard. <laughs> so in 
So how did your kind of background and your cultural upbringing, do you think, impact your time up in Everest? Or do you feel like it did at all? I think it did in that way. So part of me also, I've always been really motivated by feminism. Uh, My parents actually divorced when I was very young. And my mom was a divorced single woman. My grandmother, who was a huge influence on me, so she's the one who was originally from Germany and had to flee Hitler. She had divorced in the late 30s. So they both strongly believed that a woman should support herself. And that was a really strong message. Also, just women's lib at the time of the early 70s and mid, well, actually full 70s, you know, I was reading about the Equal Rights Amendment every day. And that's why I eventually became an OBGYN, sort of wanting to be a woman's advocate. And I mean, that was another reason this was a great opportunity for me. I was the only woman on the expedition too. So that tested me in certain ways and also made me want to really represent women well and strongly. So I think that was a big influence. Yeah, it sounds like it. Just having that drive, that independence from kind of your up, your upbringing and your background and the in, influential women you had in your life. So when you came back from Everest, I, that's an adjustment in itself, right? To be alone or with only a few people in a remote setting for months. What was the adjustment like when you came back to the States? Yeah, the adjustment was hard because, you know, I came back and it was right away starting fourth year of med school. And in some ways I had felt like, wow, what do I do after that? I had just fulfilled this incredible dream and, you know, high stakes opportunity. And it was hard. I have a friend in med school who who jokes because he said that when I came back, I was just really thankful for having a ceiling, (laughs) you know, because I did a lot of medical work in the snow, you know, so there was that. I was thankful for being surrounded by all the technical things we can do in medicine and by support and by not being alone. You know, so I learned a lot about relying on myself and being independent, but then I was also thankful to have a community again, but it was definitely an adjustment. Now, for a young uh, medical student prior to residency to get to have that experience where you're making decisions on your own and essentially practicing medicine, what was it like coming back and then having to start residency where you're kind of like on the bottom again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was good. I knew my place. (laughs) I mean, I, I really was stretched to the limit being out there on my own, and I'm glad I did it. But, you know, I had everything to learn. And it's funny because I did at one point for 10 years work in academia and I had to teach students and residents. I always, when they'd come to my clinic, say, please ask your questions now. We don't expect you to know anything now. Later, it'll be harder. So you've got to ask questions and tell us what you don't know. So that's where I was. (laughs) I had a lot to learn. Being out there and practicing kind of when you're still learning and you're practicing medicine, did that make you more interested in medicine or did that make you kind of, uh, is this really what I want to do? Did you have any doubts when you were out there? Kind of like, is this yeah, what I want? Because I absolutely. can imagine it'd be kind of scary. 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. I did. I mean, being out there, I, I got to read a lot of more books again, you know, which you can't do when you're studying a lot in medical school. I called it ventilating my brain in a different way, thinking about the human condition in a different way, more from the books and existential thoughts than the physical and physiological that we do in medicine. So I had to think about that a lot. I wasn't sure. I thought if I took a year off to write a book, I wouldn't continue with residency. And that was too risky. I did want to see it through. And I'm glad I did. Although my path in medicine has been unusual. And it has also involved continuing to take risks. So as I mentioned, I was in academia for 10 years, had a great job. I was a director of a division, director of a fellowship, spoke nationally, even internationally. But I felt like a round peg fitting into a square hole. (laughs) It was a big risk. I decided to leave that and go out on my own. And I had a lot of connections. And I, I did the same kind of medical education work but as an independent consultant and, you know, had fantastic experiences and felt like my work was still meaningful, but that was a risk. I did that again more recently. I had an industry job. It got to the point where I didn't agree with what my company was doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel it's important to have your integrity and take a stand. And I left that again. The good thing about that is the next morning I started writing my book finally. (laughs) So I I think, especially today with what's going on with politics and everything else, I think it's important that we use our voice, we take a stand, we have integrity, we take risks. And on that note, I want to shout out to my father because he was a big influence in this. I didn't mention that much about him yet. But not only did he survive the Holocaust by extraordinary means, he committed his life to advocating for others and to trying to make the world better all the time. Became a psychotherapist, but he specialized on groups interacting, especially groups that had strife between them. And he devoted his life to that. He also was always an advocate politically. He was always thankful for America and democracy. He had actually been a slave laborer in Siberia during the war, almost died of starvation in a coal mine, and was very against that kind of authoritarian government. So he was always thankful for the U.S. I learned from him to have a voice and take a stand. And so I've also been really active as a women's advocate and have testified in our Georgia State Legislature many times, and find that to be incredibly important. Now, how old were your parents when they came to the United States? So they had a big age difference. I think my dad was 37 and my mom 23. Oh, yeah, that is quite a difference. And how did they, how did they meet? I know you said that they met when they came to the United States, but how did they actually meet? My grandmother, having left Germany, never really got used to life in Israel. And she came back to Germany with my mother. She was her sole child. And my father, interestingly enough, there was an opportunity for Jews to study in Germany after the war. He was part of a student community. He he actually, he worked in displaced persons camps after the war and eventually made it to Munich to study and my mother's Jewish group in uh, Frankfurt, 
invited my father as an entertainer to a party. He liked to sing, tell Yiddish stories. He was a bit of a ham. And that's how they met. But, <laughs> I mean, you could see their marriage didn't last that long. It wasn't, you know, they weren't the best match. Yeah, they just kind of fell in love, sounds like, quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. One, one of those quick stories. So you grew up in New York, is that right? Yes, New York City. Okay. And then where did you go from there? Where did you end up going to college and medical school? Yeah, so I grew up in New York for financial reasons. I ended up going to college at McGill University in Montreal because the tuition there was a lot less than American schools. You know, that was certainly interesting, going to another country, crossing a border, being immersed in French culture of Montreal. I loved the city life there. I was used to city life from Manhattan. And then tried, as I said, my hand at working in the mountains as a biologist. Then I came back to New York to study medicine at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. I did my residency in OBGYN at Columbia in New York, and then did a fellowship in family planning at University of California, San Francisco. Then I was recruited to Emory University to lead their family planning division. Wow, that must have been quite a move from the East Coast to California. What was that like? That was great. We loved San Francisco. Oh, I forgot one interesting thing right after residency, and this is kind of funny too. My last year of residency, I was leafing through one of those throwaway magazines, we call them in medicine. They're just free magazines we get. And I saw an ad with a palm tree that said, come practice in Guam. And I had met my husband during residency. And we always joked that if we met and married during residency, how well did we really know each other? Because we're working 80 hours a week. Anyway, we decided to go to Guam. So as soon as I finished residency, I went to work in Guam, which was another isolated medical experience. <laughs> I had to make tough decisions with little backup. Then we were in an 8.2 earthquake there. And that was terrifying. And then we backpacked through Southeast Asia. I was oh, wow. pregnant. We backpacked through six months of my pregnancy. And oh, only after that year did we go to San Francisco. So the reason I brought it up is we would have stayed there probably, but having been through an earthquake like that, I wasn't so thrilled about staying in California. The real shock was coming to Georgia after New York and California. Oh, <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's not a shock that I may be over with yet. <laughs> <laughs> now you're still in Georgia now, is that right? I am. I used to recruit my fellows by saying you can make a real difference here, which I do think is true. Yeah. So. The South is a different kind of place for sure. Yes. In many ways. So how many children do you have? I have three children. That was hard too. combining medicine and children, boy, girl, girl. They're all my oldest is 26. My youngest is 21. So that's the other reason to get to the book now. We're fairly new empty nesters. My son is, is in his fourth year of medical school. My daughter is pre-nursing, and my youngest doesn't want to have anything to do with medicine. <laughs> There's always one that doesn't want to do medicine at all. <laughs> yeah. Given my story, I've tried to encourage them to do their own thing in yeah. my way, but two of them really love medicine. Oh, that's awesome. Now, you're, you said your husband's a physician as well? 
Yes, he's this is the other funny thing. He's a radiologist, just does breast imaging. I'm a gynecologist, oh, cool. and my son's yeah. doing urology. So we have oh, a lot nice. of parts covered. <laughs> <laughs> you could have your own practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I don't know what that means about us. <laughs> <laughs> You're all into women, and that's great. <laughs> So now with all of this experience that you've had, your story with your parents coming to the United States, your adventures, what advice do you have for young women that are first and second generation Americans? Because it is challenging. It's a little bit different. You have a lot of cultural and for some religious demands and kind of, you know, assimilating to American culture and still kind of retaining your identity from whatever background you come from and then pursuing your passions when yep. sometimes family is not going to be that supportive. What advice do you have? Yeah. Now I found that, by the way, in my story too. I, I was in a, a religious community. I went to Jewish Orthodox schools, although my family wasn't Orthodox. We all want to honor our parents and our heritage, and that means a lot to me. But I think you have to be true to yourself as well, and you know, you've got to find your, your best balance doing that. For me that was a path. I think it's really important to be true to yourself and of course, honor your culture. Yeah, I don't think that's easy and it's gonna be different for every person. You know, there's certain things we do in life though that make us feel really alive and make us wanna sing. And, you know, we gotta find that wavelength and try to be true to it. Part of that is what I talked about before and taking risks. And I think if you don't do that, you're missing out on a lot. And that's part of also why I wanted to write my book, listening to the opportunities out there. And it's okay to be a little vulnerable and take a risk and stretch yourself. And then I think it's really important to have integrity in all of that that you do. So you might want to compromise some things to balance everything. And, and that's okay. Compromise is important, but to keep your honesty and integrity and use your voice in the right way. I think immigrant families already tend to have a lot of grit and work hard, and that's certainly important as we find our different paths. Now tell me about your book. Are you done writing it? (laughs) I'm very happy to say I finished my first draft, but in writing, I don't know how much that means because... uh, (laughs) There's a famous saying that all first drafts are shitty. Uh, (laughs) If I can use that bad language. Um, So I'm going to keep working on it. It's funny. Working on this book is a little bit like an Everest climb. It's challenging. You know, it's one thing to write a book, but yeah, I want to keep working. I want to make it a good book. I'm learning a lot. So I'm challenging myself. I'm taking risks. I'm meeting new communities like you, which is great. We'll see. Hopefully it won't take too much longer, but we'll see. Well, I know I'm excited to read the finished book whenever you do get it published. Are you on social media? I am. I am kind of a newbie. My Twitter is at Mimi Zeman MD. And yeah, I guess that's it. (laughs) Wonderful. And I'll put that on the website too, so folks know where to find you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's a remarkable one. You've had so many adventures and it really is inspiring. Um, Jasmine, thank you so much for doing this and for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Join me next time for another exciting episode. 
Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at HerAMStory. I love feedback. Send me an email at HerAmericanStory at gmail.com. Music, courtesy of my husband, Justin Rensing.